Good morning. So our first scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31, and can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1772. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you called. Not many of you were wise, but by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the, in the Lord. Our second scripture reading is from Matthew 5, 1 through 12, page 1501 in your pew Bibles. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are pure in heart, for they will seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, in our worship together this morning, may your words alone be spoken, and may your words alone be heard. Open all of us up to your transforming love and grace, and may we encounter you today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
If I were to ask you to reflect on a happy moment in your life, is anybody willing to share what that moment was? Brian. Graduating with your master's degree. Wonderful. Others. I see Tony's hand. I'm going to get to him last because maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll be tired of listening. Tony. Well, now, I tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to ask Lisa <laughs> if, uh, if that was also a moment of joy for her. Anybody else? A moment of joy. Judy. My son's wedding. Your son's wedding. Sharon. When your son was born. Troy. When Brielle's cancer was cured. Kristen, was that yours too? The day Brielle was born. No pressure, Brielle. Judy. Well, mine's not a, a huge event. It's, it was just a summer day. Uh, me and my brother and sister were uh, in our early teens. And we were just playing outside and having fun, joking, probably watching the cars. And this one particular I love, the solitary of Edgar and Sue. Oh, gosh. So you have a clear memory of spending time with your siblings. And that for you was a moment of joy. How? When you came to Jesus. Yeah. Tom. Right. Todd. Going on the Cyprus mission trip. I think that if we listen closely, Rick. The times your son told you he loved you. If you listen closely to everything we all shared, there's a common strand that runs through all of these. You all lifted up as moments of joy. Moments in your life that were not just about you. Did you hear that in each person? Finding Jesus, the birth of a child, when a child is healthy and well again, when a child says to his dad that he loves him. Those are all moments that involve other people that are not directly about each of you who mentioned them. Although you're involved, you're affected by it. But it's not about you. You've heard me talk in sermons that there's such a thing as spiritual physics or spiritual law. Just as if I take this box of tissues and I drop it, what will happen? Gravity will have an effect upon it, won't it? The tissue fell. We're not surprised that the tissues fell, did we? We know about the law of gravity. Well, did you know that there are spiritual laws as well? And one overarching spiritual law that we see so clearly all through the Bible It's really on display in the New Testament, and it's especially pronounced here in this section that begins Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, is that a life of joy, a life worth living, is a life that's not solely about you. Solely about you. I think it was at uh, at Bill's service a week or two ago 
that I mentioned that in all of these memorial services that I've done, when people get up and talk about their loved one, they don't lift up as things to remember that that individual had uh, a really flush 401k or had great stock market holdings or had a ton of money or, or drove these fancy cars. What you hear again and again is uh, how kind someone was, how much somebody loved their children, how much a, a person supported somebody else when they were going through a difficult time. Sometimes it takes the end of life for us to get that real clarity on things that really matter, for these spiritual dynamics to kind of rise up into our view and for us to focus on them. But when you all shared those moments of joy, even Tony's moment of joy, it was about somebody else. It was about meeting Lisa and falling in love with her and marrying her. I hope I'm not reading too much into that. Um, but these moments of joy that y'all mentioned involve somebody else. See, friends, the spiritual law is that when we give of ourselves, when we give our lives, we actually receive. When we, in service to God and to others, live sacrificially, when we, as, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, when we take on the mind of Christ, and what did Christ do? He considered the needs of others over himself. Paul links that directly in his letter to Philippians as a source of joy. That when we live that way, we find joy. We find that too here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew's cha- Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 comprise the Sermon on the Mount. These well-known set of teachings of Jesus really on the kingdom of God, of what it means to live in this world and to live among the life of believers, what it means to sort of adopt a kingdom mindset, a kingdom worldview, and then how that lives out practically in the world around us. And Jesus begins, I want to set the context a little bit, actually, to understand the Sermon on the Mount. We need to go back to the end of Matthew chapter 4. Listen to these words. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in every synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those who suffered pain. The demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And then we have the famous Beatitudes. Beatio is the word in Greek. And the word blessed, which um, we recognize, don't we, in these Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. That word blessed doesn't entirely get at the meaning in that word biatio, Greek. One of the things that often happens in translation is the, the tense of a word communicates something. And that isn't cleanly translated in the English here. Blessed, yes, that's certainly a shade of the word, 
But biatio, particularly in this context, is sort of like a, a diamond. If you take a diamond and you start to turn it, you see different facets of it, don't you? And they, they reveal something about the fullness of that diamond. Well, the word that Jesus uses here has layers of meaning and is packed with so much power. The essence of what Jesus is getting at is, if you live this way, then you'll find a life of joy and happiness. You'll be blessed. The word blessed, I think, has somewhat been stripped of a bit of its power. What Jesus is saying here is, if you do this, if you live this way, you will enter into the fullness of life. There's a word here that Jesus uses, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. You know what the word is for peace? Starts with an H. I know somebody here knows it. Starts with an S. I know somebody here knows it. Shalom. Shalom. And the word shalom is not sort of, you know, you go to Thanksgiving dinner and there's tensions underneath the surface, but everybody kind of keeps it quiet. No, that's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. This is a total, full, complete peace that touches on every aspect of your existence. From your relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship to others, from your health to the way that you are in the world vocationally, all of that is taken up in this sense of peace that only God can give you. And I think that's a good way, friends, for us to think of this entire set of Beatitudes that Jesus is teaching us a pattern and a way of life that touches on every facet of existence. What I want to do is go through the Beatitudes very briefly. We'll see if we can make it through all, uh, all eight of these in just a short amount of time. The Beatitudes, though, they're so familiar to us. And often, you've heard me say before, when we come to these familiar texts, it can be so easy for them to have lost their force with us just because familiarity breeds this sense of, maybe we think we know what's happening here in the Scripture. And maybe we do. But friends, I think there's so much more happening here that we can unpack together. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in theirs is the kingdom of God. Friends, there's a certain type of person that we find attracted to Jesus over and over again in the gospel. Who are? Come to Jesus. We find Zacchaeus, a tax collector. We find a woman at the well who reveals to Jesus that she'd been married five times. We find people, a woman that good religious people who know their laws are ready to stone. And Jesus comes up and offers her mercy. We find people who dwell at the margins of society because often in Jesus' day, Good, knowledgeable religious folks have been pushed them to the edge. And those are the ones that Jesus goes to who are attracted to his message. The poor in spirit, in other words, the people who know that they have a need. We find them again and again in the scripture. Jesus said, Blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can't hear me? I'm not being loud enough? No, the means are out. Hello. Good morning, St. Paul's. <laughs> Friends, I want you to reflect on a moment of life that brought you joy and happiness. No, we already did that. <laughs> I think the batteries died on this, so if I hand this off to somebody, can you give me some batteries? Pete, can you run that back to the sound? This one, Mike, do you all know me? You've seen me preach enough. I don't like to be up at the pulpit. Confining. I like to have my hands. I talk with my hands, even though I'm not Italian. <laughs> the next beatitude that Jesus offers is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, friends, only somebody who has entered into this full shalom that Jesus wants to provide, those who are in the kingdom, those who have allowed the reign of God, to saturate their lives, can even stand and say, blessed, happy, fulfilled are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What do we find? What's the exhortation that Paul gives? For Christians, there was something that set them apart in the early church. There we go. Thank you, Lord, for double-A batteries and Milt, who keeps a stockpile of them. There was something that set the early church apart from the whole culture around them, and it was this. When somebody died, they didn't mourn like the culture did. They didn't mourn like the world did because they had something. They had hope. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Maybe, friends, you found that in your own life, in a moment of deep darkness, in a moment of despair, when everything seemed to have been taken from you. There was someone who spoke into your life and offered comfort. You realized that God had you even in the deepest, darkest hole. There's something, friends, about someone who is in the kingdom. That they can mourn, but not like those who don't have any hope. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy, joyful, fulfilled is the one who has such an orientation of humility toward God and toward those around them. They'll find ultimate meaning and reward. Oh, friends. Look at the culture around us today. Don't we need Christians who can exemplify in everything they do humility, meekness? Oh, don't we ever need that? There's the next beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, friends, there's a word in Scripture that is often used synonymously with righteousness. Not always, but... It has a very close shade of meaning, and that is this. Holiness. Holiness. John Wesley, the founder of our movement, you know what the rallying cry of him and the early Methodists was? 
to spread scriptural holiness across the land. Wesley and the early Methodists got it, that a life of relationship with God, a life suffused with the Beatitudes, results in holiness, results in a a way of being in the world that points others to God. That just as Pete prayed, a life of holiness allows us to be that light in the darkness. And for the early Methodists, that played out in particular ways. Because of their devotion, because of Scripture reading and prayer and accountability, it manifested itself in the world through acts of care for orphans, through feeding those who were hungry, through visiting those who were incarcerated. Did you know that as Methodism spread across the burgeoning uh, United States in the early mid part of the 19th century, do you know what Methodists did almost everywhere they went? They started a society. This was often before churches were established in beautiful buildings like this, although that happened not long after. They would start a society. You know what else they would often found? Schools and hospitals. Educate the children and care for the sick. You see, for early Methodists, that was part and parcel with the movement of God, and it all flowed out of this desire for holiness. For righteousness. Blessed, happy, joyful, fulfilled are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Friends, if you ever come to this text and don't think that this speaks to today, you should do what the great theologian Karl Barth said that everybody should do, is read the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Blessed are the merciful. We need people of mercy now more than ever. Look at the culture around us and the ferocity with which people treat each other. Um, A tweet from 20 years ago will get dragged up and somebody will be just berated for that. Things that people have done in the past come up again and again and again and again. And the Christian stands atop the Beatitudes and says, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who show mercy to other people. Friends, we need people of mercy in the church and in the culture around us. People who are willing to embody care and compassion and forgiveness. All aspects that get at mercy. We need people of mercy. Here's the next beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're going to find a little bit later in Matthew these beautiful scenes where Jesus welcomes children. And when I think of the pure in heart, I think of children. Not always my children, (laughs) but I think of children. I think of the willingness with which they're, they're able to embrace something new. My little almost three-year-old will go up to and greet and welcome new people. No preconditions. No assumptions. No preconceived notions. She's right in the moment. And she's right with people. And she takes them just as they are. That 
to me, speaks to being pure in heart. It isn't any wonder that over and again in the Gospels, Jesus points to children and he says, unless you become like them, you won't understand the kingdom of God. There's a sense of purity and welcome and just this unreserved love that children seem to be able to give that I don't quite know when, but it seems like almost every adult I've met has kind of lost that, myself included. And yet Jesus points to them as an example of purity of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Again, do we need any more proof of the relevance of the Bible for our world today? Oh, we need people of holiness and purity of heart, people who are merciful and also people who are peacemakers. Violence and unrest seems to tear at the very fabric of humanity on a national and an international stage. And again, this is not a surface-level peace that Jesus is talking about. This is a peace that can only be found in a transformative encounter with God. That's the only way this peace is possible. What does Jesus say in John chapter 14? The peace I give to you is not like the peace that the world gives. And because of the peace that Jesus gives, Jesus can then say to his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Because the peace that Jesus gives us is so different, so complete, so transformative and totalizing that any peace that we can find anywhere else and how we need people who've been transformed by God who can then embody and live out that peace out of the doors of this building. Oh, we need that. Now here comes the difficult beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to take that with the last one. Blessed are you. Now do you see what Jesus did here? For several beatitudes, blessed are those. Blessed are those. And with this last one, oh, it gets personal. Not only blessed are those, blessed are you. Speaking to those right around him. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I guess the upside of that is, hey, if you're persecuted like that, you're in pretty good company. You're right there with those line of prophets. And if you spent much time with the prophets, that's a common motif again and again. See, the prophets were called to do one particular task. That was to call the people back to relationship with God. To right standing, to righteousness, to holiness. The prophets would call them back to that. And it would often start by indicting the people for the way they worshipped. Because out of worship, everything else would flow. 
If the worship of God was off, if the relationship with God had become distorted, then everything else, the care for the orphans and the widows, care for those who were poor, loving your neighbor as you loved yourself, all of that would also be distorted. Because that all flows from right relationship with God. So the prophet's task was to go to the people and to warn them, to call them back to God and to warn them of the consequences that would follow if they were to not return to righteousness and holiness in worship and in living the rest of life. Jesus said, blessed are you when people mock you and insult you and persecute you. See, when the Christian embodies these beatitudes, when we seek to make all of these markers of the person who's in the kingdom of God part of our lives, there may be people who look at you and say, man, that that Bill, he's he's a little weird. He's always talking about Jesus. Friends, it happens. When we embody what is written down here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, that's necessarily going to make us different than the world around us. Because the values, the virtues, the markers of living under the rule of the king in the kingdom of Jesus, of embodying his life in our own lives and allowing him to work through us, is going to make us look A little bit crazy, but let me tell you this. The world needs some crazy Christians. The world needs some people that they might look at and say, man, look at how how merciful they are. Look 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 at what a peacemaker Pete is. Look at how merciful Bill is. Look at how compassionate Rick is. Look at how pure in heart Barb is. That sets us apart. It makes us different. In addition to being people of hope, there was another marker that set the very earliest followers of Jesus apart. You know what this was? Look at how they love each other. Look at how they love each other. And love, not more than just a a word on a Hallmark greeting card. You know what love means? Love means to will the good of somebody else. Love means to will the good of somebody else. Moves it out of the feeling of emotion and turns it into a lifestyle decision. Love is to will the good of somebody else. And out of love, it being, it finding its source in God Almighty, coming to us through what Jesus Christ has done for us, and the Spirit dwelling in those of us who follow Jesus Christ, allow us to live this kind of a life. This is nothing that we can manufacture on our own. If it were up to each one of us to manufacture our own mercy, to be pure in heart on our own volition, to out of our own strength be holy in righteousness, every one of us would fall short. But thank God it's not up to us. Thank God he sent his spirit to be with each one of us that allows us to then be people of peace and people of purity and people of righteousness and holiness. People who can make peace with everyone around us. 
People who can be merciful. Friends, I want to invite you to pray about these Beatitudes. Read them again and again throughout this week. And ask God this in your life, in your relationships. Where do you need to live out these Beatitudes? Ask God to bring someone in your life to whom you can show mercy. Ask God for an encounter during the week where you can put holiness into practice. Ask God for someone to come across your path who really needs to hear a word of forgiveness and hope. It's a challenge to each one of us. And with God's help, with God's Spirit working in us, we can be people, beatio people, people who find a life worth living. Amen.